Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we continue our College Contender Series, previewing the top teams heading into the 2021 ITA season. Of course, this year, we're doing things a little bit differently. We launched our own Cracked Rackets poll and named our top 11 teams heading into the season. Now, as part of our preview content, we're speaking with the head coaches of all of those programs. And on today's episode, we talked to the head coach of our number nine team, the University of Florida Gators. Brian Shelton joins the show to preview his team's 2021 season. Of course, we talked to Coach Shelton about what it's like to lose a player of Oliver Crawford's caliber from your program. We, of course, ask him a little bit about what it was like to recruit and ultimately now have his son on his team to get to coach him for these next few years. Will it be four years? Of course, we give Coach Shelton a hard time asking him that question. And, you know, we talk about what it's like to coach a team in the midst of a pandemic with all the uncertainty certainty uh, surrounding college tennis. Ask him about the current uh, state of the game and so much more. It's a fantastic conversation. Of course, we are joined by my partner in crime on these podcasts, Chris Halliors, who always provides wonderful color and the occasional joke. Uh, Some of them land, some of them don't, but nevertheless, the occasional joke here and there. It's a very fun conversation. I very much look forward to sharing with all of you listeners. Of course, the reasons we're able to do these podcasts day in day out is because of the support we get from you listeners, from our Crack Rackets Patreon family, and of course from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aero Bar. You go to MidwestSports.com and you know you're going to find everything you're looking for from a tennis equipment standpoint. Rackets, strings, clothing, you name it, they've got it. All of the best brands, all of the best prices. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Of course, you go to aerobar.com. You're going to find the only tennis-specific energy bars in the business. More potassium than a banana. Delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavors. And I will say many college programs turn to Aerobar. You should as well. It's going to give you that extra boost, that extra 3 to 5% that really does make the difference in your performance on court. Go to aerobar.com. Use the promo code CRACK15 to get 15% off your order and let them know that we sent sent you there. And as always, of course, look good, feel good, play good. Midwest Sports, Aero Bar, Cracked Rackets. I will also quickly note to hear our further thoughts on this University of Florida 2020-2021 season. Go check out our Great Shot podcast preview. Chris Hallioris, Matt Stokowiak, and I talking about the Florida Gators. Of course, also be sure to check Matt's article out on our website, CrackRackets.com, where he provides even more color on their season. But you know who knows the Florida Gators better than anyone else their head coach brian shelton and we had the chance to talk to him so without further ado let's get to that conversation Joining us on the podcast once again today, a returning champion here on our Crack Racket show. You may know him from his professional tennis career where he reached number 55 in the world. You may also know him as the former head coach of the Georgia Tech women's tennis team. Of course, now we know him as the head coach of the University of Florida tennis men's tennis program. Coach Brian Shelton, welcome back to the show. How are you doing this morning? Guys, I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me on. 
It is always a pleasure to have you, Coach. And the first question I feel obliged to ask everyone in your family, you're staying safe, you're staying healthy? We are. We are. We've been uh, very fortunate through through this time period uh, to to remain healthy and, and able to do most of the things we like to do. So, yeah, it's been it's been, uh, you know, a good situation for us here in Gainesville. Yeah, I know I speak for all of us fans when I say we are happy to hear that. And with that in mind, let's talk a little bit about Gainesville. Let's talk a little bit about your University of Florida team. I feel like the question on everyone's mind, the question it would be malpractice for me not to start with. Is it more difficult or more enjoyable to have your son on the team? Oh, gosh. Um, (laughs) Certainly more enjoyable. Um, You know, there's some things that certainly went into it on the front end that we wanted to make sure we try to get right um, so that it could be a good experience, not just for for my son, Ben, but also for the rest of the guys on the team and our staff. Um, And so, yeah, there's some things that uh, some ground rules right up front that we had to get straight and (laughs) make sure we abided by so that uh, that transition could kind of come through pretty seamlessly. Yeah, I think it ended up working, obviously, as he is now a member of your team. And for those of us fans or those fans who may not know your son, obviously one of the top recruits in the country last year. And so I guess my question is, is it more frustrating or flattering when you see another coach from a different program come in and try to recruit your son? Are you like, whoa, 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 back off? Like, come on, this is a Shelton household. Are you like, oh, nice. They see what I see, too. Uh, a little bit of both, you know, it's funny because, uh, you don't, you know, as a dad, you know, you wear that hat sometimes, and then sometimes you're wearing the coach hat. And so it just depends on which one I have on. Sometimes I'm wearing both at the same time. And, um, as I, as I heard from coaches, most of them gave me the courtesy to contact me first, uh, and say, Hey, I, I probably, you know, can guess that Ben's looking at Florida, but, <laughs> Would it be okay if we contacted him, had some conversation with him? And I was like, absolutely. I want him to enjoy the full experience and and to be able to make a good informed decision ultimately. And uh, of course, I wanted that d- decision to be, uh, Dad, I want to stay at home and, and play for you and for the Gators and, and represent this program. And eventually we got there. Um, but uh you know, Stanford and some others, you know, had been on visits. And and so I think it was important for him to see some other schools and some other programs that we respect, uh, obviously. And, you know, Kenny Thorne at Georgia Tech was another place and Vanderbilt. You know, these are coaches that I've had a lot of respect for um, that I really wanted him to you know, be involved in the process and and get to to know those programs a little bit better before making his decision. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason I ask all of these questions, and I think it's fairly evident given that you are a college tennis coach, you are well aware of what college tennis can do for any young developing player and more importantly, young developing person. But uh, again, given what we have gone through, all of us these past eight months in the midst of a global pandemic to have your son, not only on your team, but under your own roof, I have to ask, what does that mean for you, not only as a coach, but also as a father? I mean, it's it's incredible, really. You know, when I think back about all the years that I've been at this, uh, even from my early days at Georgia Tech, you know, uh, through now, it's, you know, my family's always been a big part of that. 
you know, and, you know, we've always been a sports minded family, even though Ben, my son, wasn't always interested in playing the game. That didn't come until a little bit later for him. He was a, <clears throat> a guy that played football and, and all kind of other sports and football was his real passion growing up. And, um, but along the way, he's, he's been at a million of my matches, you know, he would ride that little razor scooter at Georgia tech while we're playing the matches and everybody kind of remembers him, you know, going back and forth behind the courts on his little scooter with his buddies, you know, during the match and making a lot of noise. And, you know, there was one time we were playing an indoor match against Notre Dame and uh, we had to go indoors because of the weather. And this little guy ends up somehow flipping the switch off to the lights indoors mid-match. We're getting close to the climax of the match and the lights go out. And, and as you know, in most indoor facilities, when the lights go out, it takes 20 to 30 minutes before you can get them back on. They had got to cool off. And, and uh, I came off the court. I was on the court, obviously, coaching. I come off the court. I see my wife and I say, was that Ben? And she says, no, no, it was not Ben. And uh, so we end up getting the, the lights back on. We end up winning the match. It was a tight 4-3 match. I get home later that night, Ben's asleep, and I go into the kitchen table. I think I'm having a bowl of cereal or something, and and uh, she goes, I've got something to tell you. And uh, I, say, I say, what? And she goes, I'm sorry, it was Ben. <laughs> <laughs> that little rascal was running around flipping stuff, and he flipped the lights off, and, uh, and it almost uh, – I mean, I wanted to wake that kid up and kill him, but uh, uh, we, we, we've been through a lot together. And then to, to be able to coach him from the time he was probably 12 until now and really be part of that developmental process was very rewarding with him and his sister. Uh, and then to see him kind of climb through the, through the ranks in tennis uh, and and become such a, a very good tennis player has been rewarding. And obviously to, to now be at University of Florida is, is kind of a dream come true. So, so coach, on, on the on the Ben front, and, and it's not really, I'm sure we'll get into this in the rosters, but this isn't really a roster-specific question, but more along the lines of because he's your son, on the 0 to 100% scale, when it comes time on a weekly basis, you know, is Ben in the lineup or Ben not? The percentage of that decision that you're taking versus going, hey, Tanner, you got to weigh in here because, you know, I don't want to be, you know, I, I don't, I'm too personally tied to it. Are you, a, is it 100% you or are you relying more than usual on Tanner for the objective view here? Yeah, I mean, we've got two coaches, you know, Tanner's obviously the associate head coach and, you know, I give him so much authority because of the trust that I have in him and his abilities and the ownership he's taken for this program. I mean, nobody cares more about about our guys and staff and just the decisions that we have to make day to day. He's involved in every single decision that we make. And as far as lineup goes, I, I lean on him and Scott Perlman a lot for those decisions, you know, because because I trust their judgment. And so with Ben, especially, I think that's going to be important moving forward. Um, and that's one of the ground rules that we set early on, that they would have a more of a part in this development right now, especially in year one, 
at, at university um, so that I could focus on the other guys a little bit more and so that it wouldn't be a distraction for us. So, so yes, I mean, I don't know what the number is. Maybe it's 50, 50, <laughs> but, but certainly, you know, my, uh, I'm going to let those guys weigh in in those decisions. Yeah, I think what the college tennis world may not realize is it's actually 85% harder, and there's math to prove this, to play when you're the coach's son. Um, so, you know, we'll see. Obviously, we are all looking forward to having been in college tennis in 2021, and that seems like a perfect segue for us to talk about this 2021 University of Florida team. And obviously, for you guys, these past two, three seasons have been as successful as any in the in terms of a three-season stretch in Gainesville. And, you know, obviously, uh, we learned this past offseason that Oliver Crawford made the decision to turn pro, and I think that's something all of us college tennis fans expected to see from him eventually but I have to ask when you lose a player like Oliver who not only was lining up at the number one singles and doubles position but really was the beating heart of your University of Florida team it felt like these past three years what does that mean for your program well I mean I think number one it's uh, we're certainly happy for Oliver his his ultimate goals were to go on and play professional tennis and and he's he's a kid that has so much passion and energy and love for the game and love for people. And so when he came on the campus for us, I mean, he was we talk about people that make an impact right away. And and he certainly did for us and continues to just just with his ability to come out every single day and and just give you everything that he's got. And he and he truly cares about individuals and people. Um, which I think makes him really special. But the energy that he played with, um, the ability that he had, his love for competing. I mean, I, I've never coached anyone who loved to compete more than Oliver Crawford. I mean, this guy was was incredible. And you put him on that number one court at our facility in the crowd, our fans, they could certainly relate to him and, and get behind him and the rest of the guys on this team. And to have him in the center of the lineup, you know, playing in the number one spot, but also having three courts to his right and two courts to his left, put him right, right center stage where the energy could flow from one side of the stadium to the other, which was great. So it's hard to put a price tag on something like that because, uh, you know, it's just such a huge blessing to be able to coach this guy each day and and then to see him perform on match days as well. So, yeah, there's a there's definitely a, a big void there that we that will lose losing a kid like Oliver Crawford. But we certainly want players in our program to move forward to the next level. And that's part of the developmental process. And we felt like he was ready to make that next leap forward. Unfortunately, with the pandemic, he has kind of stalled out as far as competitive opportunities, but those will come, uh, especially in the new year. I'm hopeful that those opportunities will come for him and he'll be able to really start his professional career off. And and I have no doubt that he'll be very successful. Um, but we have other guys that can step up and, and I'm excited for the opportunity for them to be able to step up into those positions. 
Absolutely. is still as much talent on the roster as any team in the country. And I want to get back to that talent, but I mentioned this before the podcast. I'll say it for all of our listeners now, coach, if you're going to swear at me ever, it's going to be after this next question. So with that in mind, uh, I'll ask it. Obviously, uh, these past two years, the amount of talent you guys had in the first NCAA I ever went to in person was that 2018 NCAA at Wake Forest in the quarterfinal match you guys played against Texas A&M. One of, if not my favorite matches I've ever been to in person, and obviously Texas A&M got the better of you that day. Uh, The next year, you rip off an undefeated SEC season, make it to the NCAA semifinals, and then, you know, last year is what it is, but... I guess my question is, given, you know, that generation, Perez, Crawford, uh, I will throw McCain, uh, McLean Kessler in there just because of what he meant to the team. Uh, is it is it at all disappointing to come uh, through those three years without some sort of national title? Because it really did feel like for us Crack Rackets fans, and, you know, we talked about it on our show over and over again, you guys were basically the front runner. And so I'm just curious if you feel that at all after, you know, what has been an incredible three-year run. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that I've kind of learned through the years and having some great teams, both on the women's side and now on the men's side is that it takes a lot to be the last team standing, you know, I mean, you can have all the talent in the world and the ability and stuff like that. You can have the leadership within your squad, which we've had, uh, you can have, you know, a, a group that's that's buying into what you're doing every single day, um, and you can work your tails off. You can even be healthy uh, through that critical time period towards the end of the season, and you still need a few breaks, and you still need a few things to go your way ultimately to to hold that title unless there's just such a wide gap of talent between you and the other team and and you also possess those intangibles so i think we we, we've had a lot of those intangibles that you need to to get across the line but like i said you need a couple lucky breaks as well when we won the national championship at georgia tech and even when we won a couple of our indoor national titles there I mean, we could have very easily lost. I mean, one or two point difference in a couple of matches leading into that. I'm talking about in the round of 16 in the quarterfinals. It's just you've got to get through some of those in order to get across the line. And when I look at us losing to Texas, you know, in the in the semifinals a couple of years ago, it's. It's it was really I mean, if you gave me two points that I could use anywhere I wanted to and I just took those two points alone, we win that match. And now we're playing (laughs) for a national championship in the finals. Um, So, you know, it's it's that uh, the, the margins are that small when you talk about winning a national championship. And in our league, in the SEC, they're pretty small as well. And while we've had some great, great players and we've worked our tails off and we've done the things I think the right way uh, in the end you know it takes one or two of those lucky breaks to come your way as well uh, and I'm truly a believer that you that you that you um, you know the hard work that you put in every day helps you to have some of that luck so some of that is is what you do but you keep knocking on the door we hope to keep knocking on the door and give ourselves more opportunities moving forward I'm not going to yeah. cuss at you right now, you know, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, 
I think you, you can be around sports and it's, it's the same in every single uh, sport, you know, that, you know, sometimes uh, it takes a lot of opportunities before you can get there. You look at the Buffalo Bills, you know, and that organization, how many times they were knocking on the door and never got one, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's difficult. You're talking to a lifelong Lions fan, Coach. I know the struggle. I know the pain is real. I would like to just get – yeah, I just want to get to the Super Bowl. At this point, that would be a victory for me. But, you know, even moving beyond that, uh, you know, you talk about having a championship-winning culture, a championship-winning pedigree. I think it is fair to say you guys do have that, and you bring back guys like Sam, Duarte, Andy, who have all been in those late stages. And, you know, now they've also suffered some heartbreak as well. There's no doubt that loss to Texas at home to start last season. I'm sure the Texas A&M loss sit with them. And so looking forward now, looking into 2021, uh, how are you feeling about the guys? How has this past summer, I'm sure different than any summer you've been a part of, uh, been for your team? Yeah, I love our team. I mean, I really do. I mean, it's, it's amazing when you're in the sport for as long as I've been in it and having so many different teams you know, you, you value the character of the guys and you get, you, you value um, the ones that want to do things the right way and, and work at it daily because it's not just match day that you've got to show up, you know, especially in a college program when, when you're holding one another accountable every single day and, and your effectiveness of as a team is, you know, you've got to have the, the weakest link be strong. And so, I feel like, you know, our guys are just incredible human beings, you know, from, from top to bottom. And so the work that we do daily is rewarding because we haven't had any of these issues that I know a lot of people deal with and that I've dealt with in the past. You know, I, I'm, I don't worry about where our guys and what they're doing when they leave our facility. You know, I, I, I know that there's danger out there lurking around campus uh, in every campus in this country, but I, I just trust that our guys are making good decisions off the court. And, uh, and I can see it. You can tell when a guy shows up early for practice in the morning, you know, what he did the night before and, uh, you know, the energy that they practice with and they train with and being prepared for practices. That's very evident. It's evident in the weight room. It's evident on the court. It's evident when you're doing your conditioning you know, how, how these guys are taking care of themselves and the decisions they're making. So that stuff is, you know, is huge, you know? So as a coach, you know, to be in a situation where you got guys that are hungry, that want to work every day and, and are coming at it and asking the questions, how can I get better? What do I need to do? Coach, can you push me harder? I mean, I had a guy this past week, Duarte comes in my office and is like, coach, just, this year, I want you just to push me as hard as you possibly can. I can take it. <laughs> and he just wants to be the very best version of himself. And he wants to do well for the team. He wants to lead the team. He wants to, to, to be one of the captains. He's, he's, he's coming out saying, I want these other guys to follow my lead, you know? And, and that's huge, especially when you lose a captain like Oliver Crawford. Um, fortunately we have one of our captains back again and Sam Riffis. So you've got a two headed monster there that, uh, guys that are just super high character guys that know how to lead by example, 
and, and do things the right way. And then you got a guy like Andy Andrade, who's, who's arguably the most talented kid in college tennis. Um, and so you, you've got a recipe there for, especially at the top of your lineup, to be very, very successful. Yeah, absolutely. And coach, you start to look at your roster. You mentioned some of the names, Duarte, Sam, Andy, all coming back, but certainly, and you know, those are names cracked, 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 and college tennis fans will be uh, familiar with, but certainly you look at the depth on your team this season, and it does seem like four through eight, maybe nine, uh, you could field a pretty competitive roster, even if the singles lineup was expanded. And so I'm curious, how is the competition at you know, the bottom of your lineup right now, obviously you bring back guys like Lucas and Johannes and they have plenty of experience as well, but uh, how, how's the team looking? You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, it's so much fun because when we play matches and practice, you know, it's so competitive, you know, from top to bottom. And, uh, you know, so I think that's, that, that helps sharpen, everybody up every single day you know and so one of the things that we're always trying to do is build confidence and self-esteem in our players and you know sometimes it can be tough you come into a program and everybody's so good um and so it's just what is our outlook and we typically will play with certain stipulations you know where you only have one serve or you you uh, lose a point if you hit a ball short of the the service line or you know we'll do different things to try to work on specific areas of the game and so sometimes that may give one guy an edge over another that typically wouldn't have that edge and so they're having to still compete with maybe less than all of their tools or uh, and those things. And so you learn a lot, you know, about where the guys are at and who's the most competitive guys on your team and stuff like that. And what we found is that we're competitive all the way down the line. And so that's kind of pushed everybody to a higher level. And so we have confidence that we could throw a lot of different lineups at you. We've got multiple lefties on the team now. Um, we've got different styles of play. Um, guys that will match up well against different players. And so it gives us a lot of flexibility. Uh, yeah, some tougher decisions at times, but that's that's a good problem to have, right? <laughs> Rather have, have guys that you can insert in the lineup versus just a limited roster. So we, we've got full confidence in every one of our guys and um, know that anyone can step up at any time and, and, and go out there and we can have confidence that they'll do the job and do it well. So, Coach, we look, we look at what the guys have kind of done in the fall. And I think, you know, we in our preview, it was unanimous amongst us. And, and I think for, from most fans, obviously, we know with Sam Duarte and, and Andy coming back, that's in all likelihood, you know, a lock in the top three spot. And then it gets interesting after that. And when sure. I look at those guys over the fall, like one of the guys that's really jumped out at me who really didn't get a ton of time, you know, in a shortened season last year anyway, was Blaze Bicknell. But he's really <laughs> had a good fall and looks like he's he's really stepped up uh, with a lot of wins over guys that, you know, depending on, you know, where if and where you play him he could right. be playing, right? Like he's played a lot of those, yeah. uh, you know, four, five, six guys from other teams in the SEC and won almost all of them. It's uh, It's been fun, you know, to see this kid uh, evolve, you know, in a short amount of time. And 
he's a he's a head scratcher for every other opponent <laughs> and coach. I mean they, I mean this kid has some some gifts that are pretty special, and so a lot of people didn't know him that well. You know, he's from Jamaica. Uh, he did play down in Florida. He was coached um, for a while by Nick Saviano, but his main coach is a guy named Mel Spence, who I know very well from Jamaica. And um, But not a lot of people really knew him that well. And, um, you know, so when, when he's been out there this fall and playing matches, it takes about five minutes before a player that's going up against him looks at his coach and goes, what the heck was that? <laughs> and I mean, he can make the ball do some things that just other guys can't can't do. I mean, he's got a kick serve that jumps over the fence. He's got a forehand that he whips with this extreme grip, and he can handle pace. He can hit it from low positions. He can do do some things with it that just other people just can't do. And so, it's been fun to watch other coaches and other players after about five minutes, just start scratching their head going, what in the world? And, <laughs> uh, and the kids just, nothing seems to affect them because when, when, you know, most kids they get out there on the court and they're nervous, right. And, uh, uptight, especially as they start their college career. And it doesn't seem like the score seems to matter to him much. He plays the point at, at love all, the same as he plays the deuce points. And so he doesn't seem to back off under what most people would think under pressure. And uh, it just seems like he's, he's oblivious to it. So it's one of those great things that you see rarely in players, their ability to play uh, freely out there on the court, you know, and because that's one of the hardest things to get guys to do is to find the balance of, you know, still playing aggressively, not going past their limit, but not playing too safe or playing too far inside their limits, just getting that balance right. And he's able to do that pretty well, uh, um, still has a lot to, to develop, and, and but you can just see his development happening right before your eyes. Mm -hmm. So, so I'm not, I wasn't crazy then no. in saying that I think at some point this season, it's very possible we see him in a four spot. It's possible. It is. It is certainly anything is possible with this kid is what we found out is that, you know, uh, we're not going to put a ceiling on what he can do. Um, certainly don't want to put him in a position uh, too quickly where uh, we'll want him to be able to grow into it a little bit. You know, and like I said, we've got three guys up there that have certainly established themselves as three of the best players in college tennis. Mm -hmm. it, just to follow up on this stuff, because we were talking to Coach Adam Steinberg of Michigan, and we were joking around about Connor Johnston's two-handed backhand swing volley and how it's as it's as different as any shot you're going to see in college tennis. And Coach Steinberg's like, yeah, and we were in practice one day, and he wasn't hitting it. And I was like, Connor, what are you doing? Like, we need that energy. We I want to see that shot as much as possible. And, uh, you know, in your lineup, you have guys like Andrade and Riffis who play about as textbook of tennis as you can find as Aesthetically, it's as pleasing of a form. You know, the technique is beautiful. They play traditional style of tennis. Is it fun for you as a coach when you get a Bicknell thrown in there or an England sin as well? Obviously, his forehand slightly different than your average forehand. Uh, do you enjoy those sorts of challenges as well? I do. I love the game, you know, and so I love variety and I love seeing different um, different ways to play the game and. And I like putting some of those 
uh, skills that our guys have uh, into tactical situations where they can they can really utilize those strengths to their advantage and find ways to use those against the other players' weaknesses. And I think that's the part of the game that intrigues me the most. Um, I think to, in today's world, there's everyone's kind of a cookie cutter imitation of one another. You know, it's like serving forehand. That's the U.S. way, you know, and to see guys be able to do multiple things on the court. Sam Riffis has got just a beautiful um, skill set. And he uses the slice and he likes to come forward. He uses the drop shot as a, as an approach shot. Sometimes he, he, he doesn't have an extreme grip on the forehand. And so it allows him to hit some shots, almost put side spin on the ball at times. And, you know, so he does some things that aren't really uh, mainstream right now that are super, super effective because most guys just don't see it. Blaze Bicknell hits some shots that you just don't see. And so that allows him um, to have an advantage over his opponents. And so it's fun to orchestrate and help them orchestrate their games in a way that uh, gives them confidence and also disrupts their opponents. And our job as tennis players on our team is always to try to make the other guy uncomfortable. And so we're constantly working to find ways to make their opponent uncomfortable out on the court, you know, through changing the rhythm, through changing the timing, through changing speeds, through changing different things and learning how to condition their opponents, you know, show them one thing for, for several games. And then when it, there's a critical point, be able to make that, that, that uh, tactical shift um, so that you can catch them off guard. No, uh, absolutely. And, you know, I think getting back to something you talked about earlier, these matches nowadays, it's one in two points deciding them, right? And on a deuce point here and there, if you can throw in a funky slice serve or just something to disrupt the rhythm, that can make all the difference. So I think that's something uh, that will absolutely resonate with our fans. And I will also say to your point, and I know the 90s was your time to shine, but if Sam Riffis was a tennis player in the 90s, he's the cover of Tennis Magazine. Like probably once every three months just that sort of cookie cutter straight out of the tabloid games but you know one other guy I want to talk about on your roster and we had the chance to see him at one of our crack rackets events this summer since he's an Indiana guy uh, obviously Lucas has been someone Lucas Greif is someone who has been right on the outskirts or in the singles lineup you know that five six seven position in your lineup these past couple of seasons and I think you look at his record and he's something like 20 and four in dual match singles results when he plays. So obviously he has been spectacular. And when you're kind of drawn up your ideal six singles players, at least in my head, he's who I would think of. Um, curious what you expect to see from him this season. Obviously he's now an upperclassman and, you know, I, I'm curious how, how he's developed uh, this summer. Yeah, he's, uh, I mean, he's probably the most dependable guy that we have on our team. I mean, day in and day out. I mean, He's he's uh, got a skill set as well that uh, has been groomed over the years. I mean, we know what we're going to get from Lucas Greif each day. You know, he's getting better. He's adding some tools to his game. He has a drop shot now that he utilizes really well. And it's it's cool to see him want to come forward to the net and want to finish with his volleys now and be able to finish with an overhead and do some things that he wasn't doing as much two years ago. 
and so his game continues to evolve but the character was has been there from the beginning you know of how he goes about his work each day how he comes into every individual uh, uh lesson that he has how he comes into team practice every day how he prepares for the matches what he does when he competes um he's someone that that just doesn't deviate he's there day in and day out and i think that's huge gives us some peace of mind to know you know that if wherever he goes in the lineup he's going to be a very extremely tough out you know and i think you know we've got some guys that have been a little bit more volatile up and down with their play but he's been steady a steady rock for us I'm glad to hear you've uh, you've had some change there because I I really wasn't that fond of the two year ago Grice that beat Trevor zero and three for his only <laughs> effort. <laughs> That's yeah, not one of my fondest memories uh, of seeing Lucas. Oh uh, gosh, yeah, he's won but, he's uh, won some big matches for us. That's one of them. He's won yeah. some other huge matches where he clinched the uh, the SEC title for us against Tennessee and. And he's he's done some things that you know pretty special. So and and talking about the guys, and I have I I think most of them, maybe all but Joe, and help, correct me if I'm wrong here, but who's been with the team on campus this fall? I know Joe's not been there, but has anybody else not been there, or has the rest of the team been, been the, together? The, the rest of the team has been together. We've um, we've been fortunate to have everybody else on campus this this fall, and so. We actually started back in the summer, and we had a lot of guys that came back, went through some obvious protocols to be able to get back on the court and do some voluntary work with us. Uh, and we had a big group here, you know, from July on, really. And so a lot of those guys just stayed, and we just kind of just morphed right into the fall season and and have been able to get a lot accomplished, you know, which – you know, we've got some teams out there, obviously the Ivies and others in the Pac-12 or whatever haven't even had a team practice yet, you know. So so for us, I mean, we felt very, very fortunate that we've had the, you know, the bulk of our team here throughout, um, that we were able to play three fall tournaments together, that they were also able to go out unattached and play events like your event and stuff like that. Um, so we've been... We've been uh, very fortunate to be able to, to have those guys and for them to have some semblance of a team and uh, be able to travel together. And, you know, those those times when you go out on the road together and you get in that bus together and it just brings you closer together. Uh, and so we've been able to really bond. And I feel like there's a there's a there's a lack. I mean, not a lack. There's a, just so much. um just unity on our team and uh, these guys the, we have six guys that live together on campus and then ben is actually in a dorm on campus with our manager and uh, then we've got uh, uh, a pair of other guys that live together in an apartment off campus so i mean these guys are together it seems like 24 7 and uh, they really enjoy one another and they've kind of had to bond together to try to stay away from the masses that's that's nice. So I, I want to transition a little into into the into doubles here. I mean, sure. it, from my perspective, obviously losing Oliver at the top of the singles lineup is a big thing. But you're just kind of sliding everybody up a spot, and you still have the battles at the bottom. But doubles 
it really throws kind of a kink into it. You got to break up that doubles pair and now figure out what what works. And you guys right. had some really good success last year. And you've also got it. What's interesting to me is what, when I look at the team, I see a lot of guys that are fighting and maybe not even making the singles lineup. They're all really good doubles players. I mean, your son, Ingleson, Berdusco, Grant, all great doubles players and all yeah. guys that are fighting for those spots at the bottom. And then you're clearly not taking, you know, Andrade or Riffis out of the doubles lineup. So, so what's, what's that doubles look like coming into the year and how much is, how much in your own mind do you kind of have set and how much is still just totally wide open looking for the pairings? And quickly, Coach, before you answer that, I just want to add, notice how he buttered you up right away and mentioned your son first in terms of good doubles players. That's just, that's just damn good questioning, Chris. I love that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I saw that. I like the way he slid that in there. You know? <laughs> what a veteran. That's a veteran move. You see that? He called me a veteran, not old, Alex. (laughs) Well well done, Coach. I I don't know what you'd say about me, you know? (laughs) So, yeah, that's a good question about the doubles. I think that there's still, uh, you know, we we were able to try some different teams this fall. um, And we saw a couple teams that we really liked together that I think combined very well. uh, one of the teams I thought played extremely well was uh, Blaze Bicknell and Andy Andrade. And uh, just the combination, it wasn't so much that they were the best team on our, on our roster, but they could be. And they just presented something totally different. You know, we've always played traditional doubles where we're trying to get forward at the first opportunity all the time. And, and, um, we were we, we we experimented a little bit with this team and let Blaze stay on the baseline a little bit more because he's just got some things that like when he's got a forehand he's looking at a forehand the guy at the net's usually scared you know and so we put him in positions to be able to use his strengths out there with Andy and Andy's got an interesting skill set as well and the combination of those two is great. Another team that that did really well for us this fall that we saw worked well together with Sam Riffis and Duarte Vala. And so that's a team that we feel like we could go to in the spring. We don't necessarily have to, but we could. Um, And uh, feel very comfortable that they could play high in our lineup uh, with the experience. They're two guys that have been All-Americans in doubles. Um, so we know that they'd be a strong team for us. Um, they certainly have the ability and the competitiveness to go along with that, with that experience. Uh, but Johannes Ingelsen, he's, he's arguably been one of our best doubles players since he arrived on campus. And so we'll have to insert him somewhere. He's played, he's played with Brian Berdusco before he's, he's played with some different guys, but, uh, so we'll have to figure out, he played with Will Grant last year for the bulk of the season. And like you said, Will's a great doubles player. Brian's a great doubles player. Uh, and, and Ben, see, I say I'm one, one of the latter ones, you know, but uh, <laughs> the other team that played well for us was Lucas Greif and Will Grant, you know, and they played very well this fall. So we've got a lot of options. I think we can throw a lot of different teams out there. I think we'll end up utilizing more than six guys in our doubles rotation this year. I think we'll we'll be able to actually give some other guys opportunities to 
to play. Um, and, and that's certainly something I, I'd like to see happen this year, not just have three. Maybe when we get towards the tail end of the season, we, we might give some guys more opportunities than others. But uh, moving through, I feel like we're, we're going to be really, really strong in that area. That's great. So I'll, I'll move a little here to the to the ITA kickoff. Right. We just got some great news from the ITA that they're still planning on uh, as of now. Right. Moving forward. And we would have the draft here in, in early December. Uh, and then, and still have, and obviously still have an indoors. God, right. God willing, uh, that that's still going to happen in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but uh, so I, I, you know, we look at we look at your spot and and some thoughts, and I want to just your thoughts on my thoughts here. You get the second pick in the draft yes. behind Stanford. Yes. Clearly, you don't want to go where Stanford goes. So. I'm thinking you avoid that, but then you look at the seven hosts that you get to pick from, and there's a, obviously a couple considerations for you guys. Right, like one, all things being equal, you'd probably like to play outdoors, uh, and then two, like every other team, you look at the hosts and you say, "Where's the host? You know, which is the weaker of the hosts when you get to pick that you have the best chance of winning that site?" So you right. look at it and you probably go, "Okay, Texas, NC State." And I, it'd be kind of crazy, but from a from a team standpoint, Michigan, but indoors, that's nuts, uh, right. are the most likely. So, you know, is it is it a, hey, we're looking at, at Texas, NC State, and wherever Stanford doesn't go, we go. Do you weigh that more or do you weigh the the, the outdoor indoor thing more? What's what's kind of is, is the competition or the or the indoor outdoor more important to you? Well, I think, uh, you know, we're, we've always said we'll play anyone, anywhere, anytime, you know, and so we've never shied away from going to indoors and playing indoor teams and, and, and being able to do that. Obviously, we, we prefer to be outside here at Florida. I just feel like it's the best way to develop and get better. Um, but I, I love those opportunities for our guys to go compete inside because, we want them to be well-rounded players. And so the developmental piece of everything always trumps the rest because I'll take three or four losses early in the season if it's going to help prepare my team to become better, especially for the later stages of the season, which I always value a little bit more. So um, for us, we're always kind of looking at it from that perspective as opposed to trying to find the weakest place to go that gives us the best opportunity to advance. I'd rather play a Stanford. I'd rather play two quality teams in a kickoff versus just one, <laughs> you know, and I know that there will be two quality teams with the, especially with the, the size of the draw this year, you know, being reduced, um, you know, basically in half. And so for us, I think you're right. I think those that Texas situation would be a good one to be able to play outdoors, but but we're not going to limit ourselves just to that. And there's so many things that still could happen in the next two to three weeks that could change the whole deal. And so yeah. we're just kind of taking it day by day. We're trying to work through in our conference uh, what our SEC schedule will look like because that's Right now, we've we've been kind of going back and forth with what we're going to do with our conference, and it looks like most likely we'll have to move 
our, our, our conference start dates for the regular season up a couple of weeks to be able to put some bye weeks in there. So we're working through all of that right now. And that will obviously put us right up against team indoors, which I usually like to have a little buffer between that tournament if we qualify and that first regular season match. So, so we got a lot of things to consider right now, but like I said, number one, we're, we're willing and, and ready to go play anyone, anywhere, anytime. And, uh, you know, I just think that the, the better the competition is, the better it will be for our guys, not only at that moment to have a great experience playing a quality team, which I think is so much fun about college tennis, even the match we lost against Texas last year to start our season. What a great opportunity to play in front of so many fans and have that excitement that you're going to have in an SEC tournament or an NCAA tournament and be able to have that on our campus was incredible. So, so I just want great opportunities and great quality opponents for our team throughout the season. And hopefully we get the opportunity to, to, to have that. Yeah, no, see, I knew that was your attitude. So the answer to my next question is probably going to be, yeah, I don't know. You'd have to ask Tanner. But <laughs> okay. do you know, I don't know the answer to this yet. And I, so the teams get to declare kind of whether they're going to play in or out and indoors or outdoors. And in the past, Texas has done both. Do you know, you know, what have they declared yet? Or do we know if that Texas site is indoors or outdoors this year? I do not know that information yet. It hasn't been, the ITA hasn't put that out yet. They just uh, sent out uh, basically questionnaires saying, you know, do you want to participate in the draft? And so, you know, I don't know that every host site that's uh, eligible to host has, has declared that they will, you know, every conference is different in how they're going to handle this upcoming season. You know, maybe they're different, maybe they're the same, but um, I'm, I'm expecting us to still be two out, but you never know, you know, you just never know if the team opts out or not, but uh, right. You know, I'm expecting everyone will, will participate uh, that can. I know there'll be some teams that won't participate in the kickoff weekend, Um I know there's a lot of teams on the women's side that have said that they won't participate in it um, just for health reasons. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see who, who opts in, who, who doesn't. And, and then, like you said, as far as whether a site will be indoor or outdoor, once we have that information, ITA has that information and has all of the, um, the, the people that want to participate then they'll send that out to us so that we'll have a more informed decision to, that we can make a more informed decision uh, with what site we want to go to. Mm-hmm. With that in mind, coach, I actually want to ask you for our last few questions here. And again, I, you've been so graceful with your time. I promise we'll let you go shortly, but uh, obviously this season starting amid circumstances, unlike anything else in college tennis's history. And I suppose you two veterans will say can better elucidate all of our fans on what that history looks like since you were actually there for, you know, in 1988. Uh, I don't even think I'm a cell yet inside of my father. And yet you, you know, coach Shelton are already winning titles for Georgia Tech, but um, to have to coach a team, prepare for a season in the midst of a global pandemic with all of the uncertainty that is caused by it, uh, how difficult has that been for your program? How have you guys dealt with that? Well, you know, I think, like I said earlier, it's been, um, there's been some challenges, you know, but 
uh, I feel like in our conference, uh, in the SEC, it's a conference that is kind of aggressive with with uh, trying to make sure that we give ourselves the best opportunity to to be able to play, to be able to practice, to be able to do things that we want to do, you know, and and provide a, an environment that's that we feel secure and we feel safe in. And so I think that a lot of the protocols that have been put in place, you know, there's some things that have made it a little bit um, more uncomfortable. Um, but at the end of the day, to be able to train, to be able to practice, to be able to have a semblance of a normal schedule as it relates to that, when a lot of people haven't been able to do that, I mean, we have a lot to be thankful for. And I think that we've kind of approached each day as like, this is just a blessing that we can be together, that we're healthy, that we're training together, that we're going off and playing these tournaments together. Because there's a lot of people that are not able to do that. There's a lot of people that are not healthy or that are very sick right now and 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 have lost loved ones. And so every day is a blessing. We've got to recognize that, number one, and understand that we have an opportunity here. We are in what we believe is the best conference in the country, where we do believe we're at the best university that we could possibly be at, and that we have the support of our administration. And and um, so to be able to do all that we've done, you know, I, I really don't have anything to complain about. That's for sure. Well, with that in mind, I'm going to try and get a complaint out of you. I imagine you guys had a lot of Zoom conferences during this offseason, a lot of getting on schedule, staying close. If there is one player or assistant coach on your team who you wish you could just mute on the Zoom, you're just like, you know what? I don't need to hear from you anymore. Who are you picking and why? <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's, that's a good one. You know, it, it's funny. I've got one guy on my team that, it's like a faucet. When the faucet is off, it is off. It doesn't even leak. But when the faucet gets turned on, I mean, you can't turn this thing off. And, and, and that's Josh Guger. He's uh, He is one of a kind. And he's got a quick wit. You know, he's a Brit. And uh, so he's got a funny sense of humor from the, from the get-go. And... He loves to talk once he gets going, as long as it's not early in the morning. Because if it's early in the morning, you don't get much out of him. But, you, you know, afternoon, <laughs> evening, he's ready to go, and he will not turn it off. So so he's the guy I probably have to mute every once in a while. Just, Josh, just shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the other correct answer to that would have been Ben. Uh, again, would have been fine because I feel like you're allowed. I feel like that's that's something you should definitely be allowed to do. But all right, rapid fire here down the home stretch, and we've talked about a lot of players, I know. But if there's one name you think Gators fans are going to know very well at the end of this season that they may not already, who is it? Blaze Bicknell. Yeah, just the, the get ready for some funk. Oh, my gosh. He's going to be the most entertaining guy to watch out there on the court. <laughs> well, that is, so, no, I, that is something definitely we are all looking forward to. All right. Uh, in terms of the SEC competition, obviously, A&M bringing back everyone. Georgia coming on really strong of late at the end of last season. How do you think you got, you know, when you look at the SEC competition, how do you think you guys stack up this season? Oh, we're right in the mix. I mean, you, you talked about those two teams. I think Texas A&M last year got us in the regular season. 
they're always a tough out for us. Seems like year in, year out, they, they present a lot of challenges and problems. Uh, but I think there's there's probably four or five, maybe even six teams that are pretty scary this year. You know, um, Texas A&M, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, those to Kentucky. I mean, those are the guys that I think, you know, any given day, they can beat anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. It's going to be really fun to watch the SEC season unfold. Obviously, we need a schedule first, right? Like, I know last year it was at College Station. Would A&M's match, would that be at home this year? Is it going to be more regionally based, or is it really just all up in the air? It is a little bit up in the air, but one of the proposals that we've got on the table is to repeat last year's schedule, but just throw in some bye weeks, um, maybe two different bye weeks at different times throughout the schedule. So, that would keep us uh, home to open up against Alabama and Auburn and then go on the road to play LSU and, and Texas A&M. Um, so that's one of the proposals that's on the table. And, and so we'll see if that, if that uh, is the one option that we end up going with. So was it last, was it last year or the year before where you had the, uh, the awful at Kentucky and then home on the same weekend? Yes, that was the year before. Okay. Oh, gosh. Hope you don't get that again. That's a Yeah, yeah those, those split weekends are tough for all of us. And, you know, with having an odd number of teams in our league, uh, 13, because Missouri doesn't have a men's tennis program, it, it pre- presents some challenges for, for the schedule. But maybe you guys could, could uh, consult for us and put something together <laughs> that, that makes sense. I mean, if you want to play 30 matches against Michigan, Coach, that's fine with me. I'll talk to Steiny. I'll see if he's okay with that. I'll keep you guys in there. Now I'm going to start cussing at you. <laughs> no, don't worry, Coach. Gruskin's the one that'll be cussing because cussing, it'll be the same result as every time they play Ohio State. Yeah. I don't know if you want to listen to our thoughts, Coach. Uh, we did a great shot podcast where Chris, Matt Sikowiak, and I talk about this season, but I made that same suggestion there, and at the end of it, I was like, actually, let's scratch that. I don't need Florida to come play Michigan National Indoors opening weekend. I was like, you guys go do your – we can, we can save that for later. Um, but – Yes, but obviously, again, we are all looking forward just in general to seeing college tennis back in action. And last two questions for you here. Um, A, you know, we learned months ago, feels like lifetimes ago now, that all of these different seniors and players are going to be granted an extra year of eligibility. And obviously, I would love to hear your thoughts on that decision, but also what that's going to mean for this college tennis season, because you look at some of these rosters and your jaw just drops at how much talent there is. Yeah, I've got mixed emotions for sure. You know, I'm I'm certainly happy to have uh, Johannes back for another year, but um, honestly, my opinion in the matter was that we should. Uh, it's a tough time for everybody, and everybody is going through difficult times. You know, especially when you think about loss of life and 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 sickness and and things like that. And so, my opinion was that. You know, it's just it's just tough. You know, it's tough for those for for all of our programs not being able to complete the year last year. But if if I was asked what I what what we should do in that situation, I would have said that we shouldn't grant another year for 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 those players. But I, I'm I'm probably not one of the majority decisions. You know, probably not not in the majority there. Um, but what, one of the things that it causes, it causes kind of, 
you know, roster sizes to grow so much. And for incoming freshmen who thought they were coming into a team where they'd have an opportunity, not having an opportunity. And it kind of goes on and on for the next three years with that. And so uh, to me, um, I certainly was opposed to extending that out. Um, but, but I certainly understand why. And, and, you know, it's, it's pretty tough for a player who's going into their senior year, not to, not to be able to complete it. So out there on the court, but, uh, but yeah, it's a tough situation. Um, but you've got some super teams. I mean, North Carolina is one of those super teams. They they brought in a lot of players and they, they're bringing back a lot of players and they're, they're definitely going to be a force this coming year. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And hopefully, again, we get to see maybe a national indoor rematch between your team and the North Carolina uh, team, because uh, I'm sure you're looking at your chops for another shot at them. Um, you, again, you're going to swear at me. I'm just trying to get you to do it before you go, coach. Uh, my, you're reminding me of all my losses. Do we have any- <laughs> <laughs> Hey, my favorite two matches, and we talked about it at length uh, in the preview podcast, were those two Tennessee matches in 2019. I think that's what college tennis is all about when you get to uh, see these two teams build up a rivalry, go head-to-head a couple of times during the course of a season. Uh, That's everything that you want, and obviously that was a match that you guys won, so I'll throw that in there. And by the way, did I mention how good Ben Shelton is? He's a really, really good player, Coach. Uh, coming around now. Yeah. Just so you know Slap me around and then you try to butter me up. Yeah, no, I just think for Ben, it's, you know, really good genes. When you have a mom as successful as he does, how can you fail? Uh, but <laughs> uh, She's going to write you a thank you note for that one. <laughs> course but um yeah no you know again a more serious question i suppose to end things we talk about the current climate in college tennis and when you see programs like iowa and minnesota who have historically you know iowa reached its career high ranking during 2020 minnesota one of the best teams in the big 10 of the 80s and 90s and when you see programs like that discontinuing when you see the current climate of college tennis just curious uh, how you respond and you know how you feel with that added perspective about having your Canesville community behind you? Yeah, I think it's tough. You know, it's really tough to see, see programs, you know, go down and, and for coaches to be kind of displaced and for players to, to lose their home. And um, so I think that's just really difficult, you know, for those programs. And it's just difficult for college tennis as a whole, especially on the men's side, more so than the women. Um, and I think, you know, I, I just, you know, I've talked to our athletic director, Scott Strickland about it, and he doesn't understand it. You know, he, he, he looks at it and says, you know, for a men's program to, to lose a men's program doesn't really make sense to him because you share a lot of the same resources. And so those resources don't go away. Um, and if, if he was to, you know, downsize, and eliminate a program, he certainly wouldn't start with men's tennis. And it's not just because we have a good program, but it's just economics. And he just doesn't see where you would gain that much because the budget's pretty small, relatively speaking. Um, You're not impacting as many people. Uh, And the community typically is behind the tennis program. And we've been fortunate here to really have a a great booster group and, and great support from this community 
uh, a lot of people who love the game and love college tennis and love the Gators. And so uh, I think that we are bringing some value to, to the school and to the community, and we're certainly receiving a lot back from that. So, um, so yeah, I've, I've really hated to see some of these coaches and, and players and programs you know, lose, lose their opportunity. You know, I've spoken with Jeff Young up there at Minnesota a number of occasions and, you know, to do what he's done in Iowa as well, to have the success that they've had to build a program full of character. And, and, uh, it it just tells you that, you know, that we all need to be careful as far as how we proceed and understand that we've got to you know, make sure that our administration is supporting what we're doing and, and make sure that communication is going back and forth as to what we're doing to bring value to the university and to the athletic department. Um, I think that's very important. I think those people have done that, though. I think Jeff and, and those guys have done that up there. And so it, it makes it that much more difficult to swallow uh, when you see them lose lose the opportunity. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And again, I know I speak for all of us college tennis fans when I say uh, we are so happy to have the season back in our lives. We are all getting excited for that kickoff draft. I'm happy we got a little bit of a sneak peek. You know, we're going to do a mock draft here at Four Crack Rackets now. I know. All right, Florida, probably not going to follow Stanford. I can put that in my scenario. So we always appreciate any little bit of insight. I have one last goofy question for you. But Chris, any final thoughts for Coach Shelton while we have have them? Yeah, well, I, I had one, and, and Alex knew this was coming, Coach. But <laughs> oh, boy. How good does it feel to grab one of his Wolverines in Matthias Seymour for next, <laughs> for next season? Not oh, this. Gosh. That, that I have no comment for. Out of respect for Steiny. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, we know in all seriousness, we released something about that and probably shouldn't have. And uh, he's got a season to play up there at Michigan. He's a huge part of that team. Uh, and and I'm, I'm certainly rooting for those guys. I always root for Steiny. I think he's one of the best uh, coaches that we have uh, across the country. He does things the right way. And, I mean, it's just his character is unbelievable. When I watched those guys play at National Indoors last year and make the run that they made, you know, nothing gave me more pleasure unless it was me and my team doing it than seeing him have that success up there because I know how hard he works uh, and, and, and what a great coach that he is and he's such a good friend. So I just got nothing but respect for him and for his program. Yeah, did I mention that Ben Shelton, great guy as well? I feel like this is, we just, at this point, got to trade these uh, back and forth. But, uh, no, I'm sure he appreciates you saying that as a Michigan fan. I love to hear that, of course. Well, then, uh, my final question for you, and again, just a fun one here. uh, Down the home stretch, I'm sure the question you are very much looking forward to answering for this 2021 season, uh, what can Florida Gators fans expect? Well, I think it's going to be a phenomenal season. You know, I'm I'm just hopeful that that we're able to to play a non-conference schedule as well as a conference schedule, um, and I'm hoping that we're able to complete it. If we are, if we are, I think we'll just get better as we go through the season. That was the unfortunate thing about last year is that we hadn't close we hadn't come close to peaking yet, and I could see that it was moving in that direction. 
you know, our last match was a loss against Texas A&M, but uh, I really felt like we were in prime position as we moved through our SEC schedule and everything else that we had going forward, being outdoors and getting getting more opportunities to, to play. Uh, we were primed, you know, to really make a run there. And so I feel like this team this year, we've got all the pieces again. Uh, I think we got excitement on this team. You know, we got some, some, some great guys that play with high energy that make it fun to watch the game. Um, what they do, not just during the points, but in between points makes it exciting. I think you'll see some exciting things out there from, <laughs> from our guys um, who, who play with great energy, both in doubles and in singles. So I think we're going to put something special out on the court each, each time we, we suit up. Um, and, and like I said, we hope for the opportunities and hope that we're able to stay healthy and, and uh, as well as the rest of the league and the nation. Mm-hmm. Well, we all appreciate you saying that. I will throw in one more fun one because it, I remember this debate we had on our podcast. This might actually be the most important question I ask you, and it's the fact that I think assistant coach Stump is going to listen to that podcast and go, Gruskin, your takes are whack. And so my question to you is, is Coach Stump the sort of guy who would use the word whack? Whack, yeah. He might use it from time to time, you know? Just like, Brian, no, that decision is whack. Like, you shouldn't be playing him there. Like, I just feel like he could do that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Stumpalicious. That's one of those things (laughs) that uh, Scott Perlman will say sometimes, or T-Stump, or Stumpy, or, you know. He is is incredible. I don't think I've met – I've never had a coach – on the court that's more competitive than Tanner Stump. And I didn't have the pleasure of seeing him play when he was at Mississippi State, but I mean competitive, edgy. I mean, it's it's so much fun to see him when we compete. I just look two or three courts down and I see him like he is more <laughs> fired up than anyone on the court. So just so much fun for our guys to have the opportunity to play with that guy. And He's, he's one of a kind, but uh, I love him, you know, and, and uh, I love his spirit. I love what he brings every single day. He's so much fun to work with. Yeah, just, no, just I, so you know, Coach, one of a kind. just hit to his forehand. Just hit to his forehand. <laughs> <laughs> Was that the scouting report? Well, well, you know, now he's got the bum shoulder, so, I mean. Exactly. <laughs> of course. Well, with that in mind, Coach Shelton, it is always a pleasure to have you on our show. Obviously, we hope you and your team, your family, stay safe, stay healthy, and we look forward to watching the Gators compete in 2020, uh, 2021. So, of course, good luck to your team this season appreciate what you guys do there at crack rackets man you guys are a force to be reckoned with and uh, look forward to, to, to a great season with you guys oh, appreciate that happy holidays coach and as always go gators all right go gators same to yeah. you of course take care
Hope all of you enjoyed our conversation with University of Florida men's tennis head coach Brian Shelton. Of course, as always, a huge thank you to Coach Shelton for being willing to come on the show, talk with us about his team. We have so much fun getting the chance to speak with all of these coaches. I know as a college tennis fan growing up, this is exactly the sort of content I was looking for. I want to hear from these coaches, hear about the players. I want to hear them talk about college tennis the way I hear other coaches talk about their college sports or even professional coaches talk about their professional team sports because of course college tennis really is one of those few times where you have tennis played as a team sport so such a great chance a great opportunity when we have the chance to speak to these coaches so a huge thank you to coach Shelton and all of them who have been willing to participate and of course we've also have some really other fun coach centric content for all of you listeners as we get further down the road inch a little bit closer to the start of this season so be on the lookout for all of that and for all of our college tennis coverage tune in to our website crackrackets.com thus far we've talked about georgia we've talked about michigan now we've talked about florida we heard from manny diaz we spoke with coach steinberg just still waiting for the green light to air that podcast but of course all that can be found on our website crackrackets.com where you can find this podcast the great shot podcast mini break and inside out podcast you can find links to our youtube channel as well for our new series the deciding point and all the other incredible things we are doing here at Cracked Rackets. You'll be doing Super Producer Daniel Westoff a huge favor when you go hit that subscribe button to our YouTube channel. So just go do that. Take the five seconds. It's very simple, folks, and it guarantees you won't miss out on anything we will be doing moving forward. Of course, speaking of those Super Producers, shout out to both Super Producers Max Wigner and Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job they do day in day out making all of this content possible shout out again to our friends at midwest sports and aerobar go to midwestsports.com use the promo code cr15 go to aerobar.com use the promo code cracked 15 but with that in mind for our wonderful guest head coach brian shelton my fantastic co-host chris Hallioris, our super producers max fligner and daniel westoff our friends at midwest sports and aerobar and all of us here at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you been listening to another edition of the cracked interviews podcast stay safe stay healthy and we'll talk to you all soon thanks everyone